In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 22. And as we will see, Psalm 22 speaks about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So I think it's a beautiful opportunity Special on Monday, we will celebrate the Feast of the Cross. So tonight, actually, we'll try to study the first half of the psalm. And tomorrow in the Vespers, we will actually study the other half of the psalm, which very, very suitable to the Feast of the Cross. As you know, each psalm has a title. And the title of the psalm to the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. To the chief musician, it's repeated in many other psalms. And most probably, this was an instruction to the chorus led by the chief musician and like Asaf or Himan. Some other commentator says chief musician is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the son of David means the author of the psalm is David the prophet. But what was confusing the meaning of this word said to the dear of the dawn. And there are some views on the meaning of the deer of the dawn. It may be a phrase which suggests a name of an instrument or a particular tune to which the psalm was to be sung. But others think it resembles the redeeming work of our Lord Jesus Christ like a wounded innocent deer and in the dawn when the morning comes healing and release comes to this deer just as our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and was wounded on the cross then on Sunday morning at the dawn his glory was manifested by his resurrection. Another view, according to the old Jewish tradition, they said this expression, the deer of the dawn, refers to the glorious cloud that used to appear in the midst of the people of God, which symbolizes the presence of God in the, in the midst of his people. And also, according to this tradition, a lamb was offered as a morning sacrifice. So the deer of the dawn may be a symbol to the lamb that was offered um, in the morning sacrifice. All church fathers said this psalm is like a gem among the psalms. It's remarkable because of how prophesied in details about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
it begins, the sun begins with the most anguished and sorrowful cry in human history. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a Christian cannot read the psalm without reflecting on the use of the first verse by Christ on the cross. This was one of the seven words that our Lord Jesus Christ cried on the cross. My God and my God, why have you forsaken me? And this cry contains deep, moving, intense suffering of Christ. And in the New Testament, there are 13 references to this psalm, Psalm 22. Nine of them are about the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we will see together, many of the details of this psalm are reflected in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, did David say the psalm about himself? Or he uttered it in a prophetic way? Some commentator says this psalm all refers to David. Others try to take a middle way and said, yes, it applies to David, but also it can be prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. However, all the church fathers saw this psalm as messianic psalm, applies only to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because nothing in David's recorded life confirm all the circumstances which are mentioned in this psalm. David, his hand were not pierced. He was not actually stabbed in his side. David did not directly in this psalm mention his enemies, nor seeking a curse about upon them, as it was common in all other psalms of lamentation. So there is nothing also to, to hint in this psalm to a certain sin, trying to proclaim or to defend his innocence, defending himself against vain accusation, nor wishing wrath against his, his enemies. So this psalm, in as whole, actually refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ uttered from his cross the words of bitter woe that begin this psalm, my Lord, my Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was not a coincidence, but it gave a special interest and importance to the psalm. That's why it was natural that Christians claim it not only as a record of the suffering typical of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also it is actually a prophetic psalm prophesied in details about what will happen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and this psalm actually presents us with great contrast between its 31 verses, 
between the first 21 verses and the last 10 verses. In the first 21 verses, we can hear the lamentation, the sorrow, the grief. But in the last 10 verses, praise, thanksgiving. So it's naturally to divide this psalm into two parts. Lamentation or the sufferings of Christ from verse 1 to 21, where David describes in detail the awful feeling of being forsaken by God, which points clearly to Calvary, mocking, ridicule, pain, opposition, all done to an innocent man, our Lord Jesus Christ. The second part of the psalm is a praise to God for his faithfulness, and this represents the glorified Christ. So outline of the psalm from verse 1 to 21, the suffering Christ. From 22 to 31, the glorified Christ. Let's start with verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. So, at the very beginning of this verse, we see the very words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the painful cry of Golgotha. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words of the Son came to proclaim the price paid for our redemption on the cross. Jesus is forsaken because of our sins. It's a cry of despair quoted from this psalm by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, showing that he is experiencing what came in this psalm. But what did he mean by my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, let's explain this. Our Lord as a representative of humanity, because he took our human, nat- human nature, was counted to be forsaken by the Father for some time. Because all of us, we were forsaken, we were in, in, in enmity by the Father. St. Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, said about the Lord Jesus, He became a curse. Jesus became a curse for us. In 2 Corinthians 5:21, For He, the Father, made Him, the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. These two descriptions are very difficult descriptions. Jesus became sin, he became curse. Because he carried all our sins and he carried our curse. So he became sin and curse. That's why he was forsaken as a representative of the humanity. 
He was forsaken that we would not be eternally forsaken by the Father. There is a prophecy in Isaiah about this, uh, how, how the Father or how the Son was forsaken by the Father. In Isaiah 54, verse 7, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, for a mere moment, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. So these words is directed to us. And since Jesus carried our humanity, and all of us are in him, we are his body, so these words also directed to the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Gregory the Nizianzian said, Christ was not forsaken by the Father, nor from his deity. So, the unity between the Father and the Son never actually dissolved, as some may think. Or he, Jesus, fearful of passion, separated with his deity from his manhood. So neither Jesus separated from the Father, or neither the divinity in the Lord Jesus Christ was separated from his humanity. But as I already said, he was representing us in himself. We who were forsaken and despised. But now the suffering of him, of whom suffering is not befitting, because he is innocent and according to his deity, resurrected and saved us. St. Augustine also says, For these are not words of righteousness, but of my sins. As if he is saying, these words did not fit Jesus Christ, who is righteous, but fits my sins. But since the Lord carried my sins, that's why he is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For it is the old man nailed on the cross that speaks, the old man nailed on the cross to the cross that speaks, ignorant even of the reason why God has forsaken him. Again, St. Augustine says, What does our Lord mean by saying that the Father has forsaken him? When he himself is God, Jesus is God, why did he use those words? Unless we are in him, as the church is the body of Christ. So we are in him. So we were speaking these words on his mouth. By saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is drawing our attention, saying to us, this psalm is written about me. So when the Lord on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wants the people who knew this psalm to 
Look how this son now is being fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So he's asking a question, why? Why have you forsaken me? The answer, because he has chosen to stand in the place of guilty sinners. He carried our sins. He became sin and a curse because he chose to stand in the place of guilty sinners. He who have never known sin have made the infinite sacrifice to become sin sacrifice and receive God's just wrath upon him, upon sin and sinners in him. He did this because of his great love and because of God's great love. Why have you forsaken me? It is not to be understood as if the personal union of the divine and human natures were parted or that the one humanity now was separated from the other divinity. Why? As St. Paul said in Colossians, the fullness of Godhead still dwelt bodily in him. The fullness of Godhead dwelled bodily in him. Also, we should not understand why have you forsaken me as he ceased to be the object of the Father's love. Definitely not. Or he lost the joy and comfort on the cross. Definitely not. But it means now he is deprived on the cross, I mean by now. He was deprived of the gracious presence of God of the manifestation of his love to the human soul and had a sense of divine wrath not for his own sins because he is sinless separated from sinners but for the sins of his people so he was for a while destitute of help and comfort which was necessary for the work of our redemption to be destitute of help and comfort, this was an essential for the work of our redemption. Why are you so far from helping me? Why are so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? He had the sins of his people charged to him. He must bear our whole punishment. He knew that he was bruised and wounded for our sins. And this was done to set forth the greatness and and bitterness of his suffering. So, the bitterness of his suffering, it was so great. Not only men hid their faces from him, but what actually was most grievous of all that God had departed from him. So it appears that he was truly human and had a human soul and endured sorrow and suffering like any one of us. He resembled us in everything except for sin alone. And the repetition of the word, my God, my God, 
denotes the depth of his distress which made him cry so earnestly my God, my God then he said why are you far from the words of my groaning from the words of my groaning why are you far from regarding pitying, answering my fervent prayer and strong cries this refers to his prayers in the garden of Gethsemane so Jesus not only endured the withdrawal of the father's fellowship but also the actual outpouring of father's wrath upon him as a substitute for our sinful humanity from this verse we can imagine that what Jesus endured on the cross was so complex, so dark, so mysterious it beyond our emotional comprehension he felt abandoned by the father felt his groaning and cries went unanswered verse 2 oh my god I cry in the daytime but you do not hear and in the night season and I'm not silent in daytime in the time of his suffering on the cross which was in daytime and in night season means when he was in the garden of Gethsemane because it was at night the night in which he was betrayed and seized and I am not silent and in night season and I'm not silent means Jesus prayed not once but three times for the cup to be passed so he was not silent he repeated the prayer more than one time but he may seem to be forsaken that's why he said in day and time and night season you did not answer me verse 3 but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel so although although it seems that uh, he was forsaken but Jesus still believes that Jehovah, the God of covenant is still the holy one in whom people could trust so when he presented his agony he is not uh, charging God that his holiness is not perfect so his present agony did not change the holiness of God you are the holy one so Jesus on the cross sees God the Father righteous and blameless and he had still unwavering confidence in God although it seems that his prayers not heard but St. Paul in Hebrew said he was heard for his godliness although he was not delivered from drinking this cup but Jesus did not blame the Father Jesus believed, believed that God is righteous 
although he received no answer, he did not doubt that there was some sufficient reason why he was not answered. And in this verse, God is seen enthroned in his sanctuary, where praises and prayers of Israel are ever being offered up to him. So as if the Lord is saying, if you hear the prayer and praises of Israel, assuredly, in your own good time, you will hear me, the sufferer, which happened when he was raised on the third day. Another verse that shows the confidence in God, verse 4, our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. So, here the sufferer start to think how many before him have cried to God the Father and trusted in him. Maybe for a while they have seemed not to be heard. However, eventually they were heard and saved. So here the Lord takes comfort from the experiences which the people in former ages had. And he learned the benefit of trust and prayer, trusting God and prayer. They cried to you and they were delivered, like the Israelites did in the land of Egypt when they were under bondage. And in the later time, God actually heard their groaning and delivered them by the hand of Moses. Also, it may mean that he is telling God, now you are lifting me, leaving me without help. Although I am overwhelmed by grief and sorrow, you helped others, so come and help me. So, in the same way, when we go through difficult time, we may remind the Lord of his former loving kindness toward our fathers, how he helped people before and beseech him to do the same with us. This like a true wrestling with God, true wrestling with God. Verse 5, they cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. The same meaning like verse 4. Verse 6. But I am a worm, not a no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. The worm is a symbol of extreme weakness and helplessness. It is naturally despised, put down, trodden upon. So, how deeply the Lord Jesus Christ was despised of the people. This appeared most evidently when they expressed to Pontius Pilate their desire. And what was their desire? To release a murderer, Barabbas, instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how they despised him. Isaiah 53, verse 3, 
description how Christ was despised. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we had as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And we can see the fulfillment of this prophecy in Matthew 27. So Christ calls himself a worm, not because of his human nature, definitely not, but on the account of the opinion that people of the world had of him. They despise him, they look at him as worm. A reproach, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. I became a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. So the reproaches of God, I mean the wrath of God, and also the reproaches of the people fell on Jesus. And it was considered a reproach to men. The Lord Jesus Christ was considered a reproach to men. And actually, not only Jesus was despised, but it was a shame if you are a friend of Jesus, like happened with Peter, when he was told, we saw you with him, you are a Galilean. So it was also a a reproach to men to be seen in the company of Jesus, or to be thought that you are belonging to him, or you are one of his disciples. That's why Peter denied any relationship, any fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read, like the Gospel of John, we see many believed that Jesus is the Messiah, yet they refused to confess him because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Because if they confessed him, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. He was ridiculed as a foolish man and as one that not only deceived other but himself too so they said he deceived other also he deceived himself thinking he is God although he is not also those who saw him hanging on the cross mocked him and instead of being compassionate and show concern they added to his afflictions with all the gestures and expressions of bad manners by nodding their heads, rebuking him even when he fell while he was carrying the cross. And they used the cross and the suffering as an excuse to call his relationship with God into question 
Because they said, if he is the son of God, let God the Father rescue him. He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. David was sometimes mocked for his confidence in God. But in the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see this verse was literally and exactly fulfilled. They said, actually people who walked in front of the cross, they said, let him deliver him, let the father deliver the son, since the father delights in him. This statement reveals the frequent ignorance and cruelty of those who oppose God and his people. It claimed to see no deliverance when it would come soon on Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. Also, it questioned the light of God the Father in Jesus who was forsaken. When God actually on baptism and also in transfiguration said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God actually uh, truly delighted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the ignorance of the people actually questioned whether the father is delighted in his son or not. Verse 9 For you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. (coughs) David understood both of himself and prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ that in the depth of agony and in the depths of sins of abandonment one could still appeal to God in remembrance of better time. So in verse 4 he remembered how God delivered the fathers. But now in verse Uh, 9 speaks about how God actually took care of him in his infancy. God begins his care over us from the earliest hour of our existence. But this verse, you are he who took me out of the womb, you made me trust while on my mother's breast, Many church fathers said this verse referred to the miraculous conception of Christ, who was the Son of God, because he was conceived in a way no other man ever was conceived, by the power of God in the womb of the pure virgin Saint Mary. He was conceived without seed of man. As St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, the psalmist refers to that the Lord was born without human seed from the womb and the body of St. Mary, a way of birth different from that by which men are regularly born through matrimony. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts, This was eminently true of Christ, whom God 
so miraculously preserved and provided for him in his infancy. In a supernatural way, when an angel appeared to Joseph and said, take your wife Mary and the baby and escape to Egypt. So here you made me trust while on my mother's breast. It's about how God the Father arranged the flight to Egypt. Verse 10. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. So, this uh, represents or reflects the trust in God the Father in spite of the abandonment, in spite of all the suffering, but still the trust in God the Father. Then there is appeal in verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Be not far from me. Again, the plea for help is again eloquently and persuasively stated. God seems to be far away, but trouble is near. As he said, be not far from me, for trouble is near. I need you now, and there is none to help. You must help me, God. David himself had never been in such test or suffering, because even when Saul was chasing David, or Absalom was chasing David, David always, always had friends and followers. But here actually, David, in a prophetic way, is speaking about Jesus. David was a symbol or a type, and Jesus is the anti-type. How the Lord Jesus was abandoned and deserted. He was alone. As we read in Matthew 26, verse 56, all the disciples forsook him and fled. Yes, he was truly one that had no help, as he said, and there is none to help me. Verse 12, Many balls have surrounded me. Strong balls of Bashan have encircled me. So, here the sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ, represents the adversaries who crowd around him uh, under the figure of balls. Why bulls? Fierce animals. They are wicked, violent, fierce, furious enemies. And strong bulls of Bashan. Bashan was known as the richest basher ground of Palestine. Produced the largest and strongest animal, as we read in Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 18. Also, the king of Bashan became an expression of powerful oppression, as we read in Amos chapter 4, verse 1. So, who are the bulls or the strong bulls of Bashan? These are the high priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees among the Jews, Herod, Pontius Pilate among the Gentiles. So, all these were comparable to the bulls for their fierce, fierceness and rage against Christ.
and all of them, after having determined his death, were so unashamed as to make their appearance at the cross and to insult him on the cross with their mockeries. That's why he said, many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Verse 13, another metaphor, they gape at me with their mouth, like a raging and roaring lion. They gave at me another metaphor, fierce and threatening as bulls, and they also were hungry as lions, fierce and threatening as bulls, and hungry as lions. They opened their blasphemous mouth as if they were about to swallow him. They are like roaring lions. They longed to tear the Savior in pieces, eager to devour him as wild beasts raven over their prey. Then from verse 14, he started to describe his own condition. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Three descriptions. Like water, his bones out of joint, heart like wax melt within me. So, uh, turning from his enemies, our Lord now describes his own personal condition. All his strength was gone, and his whole being was made a sacrifice. I am poured out like water, weak as water, and giving up to the power of death, emptying himself of all supports of his human nature, poured out like water. Also, it can refer that when the side of our Lord Jesus Christ was stabbed, blood and water came out from his wound. My bones are out of joint. The strain of the body hanging on the cross would dislocate the joints of the arm and would be felt in every bone of the body. And my heart is like wax, melted through fear and overwhelming grief. Verse 15, My strength is dried up like a poacher, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. So, he said, in a manner, no more moisture in me, in my body. Actually, I I dried up like poacher. All his strength was dried up in the tremendous flames of of the wrath of God the avenging justice like the paschal lamb the lamb of Passover how was roasted in the fire my tongue cleansed to my jaws an extreme and agonizing thirst 
sits in and the saliva is suppressed so the mouse feels thirsty and dry and this was fulfilled when the Lord said on the cross I am thirsty you have brought me to the dust of earth the death he chose was according to the will of the father and also as a work of obedience on his part he obeyed unto death the death of the cross that's why he said you have brought me to dust of earth the sentence of death passed upon Adam and as God said to Adam to dust you shall return Genesis 3 19 therefore Christ having an eye to that sentence in his obedience to death he used similar expression you have brought me to the dust of the earth so the sentence of Adam fell on the Lord Jesus Christ verse 16 which will be the last verse in our Bible study tonight for dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet a new description he described them like bulls uh, roaring lions and now as dogs they are wicked like the unclean cowardly tormenting mob like the troops of hungry and vicious brutal dogs so the idea is taken or the metaphor like when you see number of dogs encompassing a distressed deer which they have hunted down and also that's why the title of this psalm deer of the dawn so that is is suggested in the remarks of the title of this song they pierced my hands and my feet these words cannot with any probability be applied to David so this psalm is a prophecy about Jesus Christ so we cannot apply pierced my hands and my feet to the attempts of David's enemies upon him or for their design was not to torment his hand or feet but to take away David's life but this they pierced my hands and my feet literally verified in Christ whose hands and feet were really pierced and nailed to the cross according to the manner of Roman uh, crucifixion so we'll stop here at verse uh, 16 and God willing, tomorrow, in the whisper of the Feast of the Cross, we will finish the other part of this psalm. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.